Desert Tracks 1996. From the moment I saw a fake fur coat dangling from the top of a high wire fence as we drove through the Aboriginal community near the Desert Track camp, I realised this trip was going to be like no other. And after just a short while camping in the desert with the local Aborigines, our day-to-day life seemed light years away and it was as though the modern world did not exist. I found it hard to believe I was in Australia at the end of the second millennium. But we were in the very centre of Australia at the Desert Tracks Anjata Bush College, about five hours' drive along corrugated dirt roads south of Uluru. Anjata is the heart of Pichanjara country near the South Australia, Northern Territory and West Australian borders. Less than 10 years old, this camp was the brainchild of an elder of the Pichinjara tribe, Nanan Jail, who says, My family runs a bush college teaching our laws and lifestyle. I want to teach all people, black and white, about the land and our way of living with it. Ignorance is the reason for a lot of racism. If people will listen to our way, they will understand why we live in the country of our grandparents and we must have strong land rights. If people lose their land, their law is broken and their spirit dies. All visitors to Desert Tracks are expected to have a serious commitment to learning, whether they be travellers, academics or even health workers. The minimum stay is one week, so everyone leaves with a basic understanding of life at Angata. You certainly need to be serious, for this is not only a physically but also a psychologically confronting experience. Even in the middle of September, it was so hot and windy, a freshly made sandwich was like a crisp chip before you'd had time to eat it. We drank gallons of Billy tea, but really needed to use the new long drop. Our fingernails split and, well, my nose was so dry it bled most of the time. I soon learned to turn a blind eye to flies Before lunch, one morning I'd swallowed four. Even though the camp is partially protected by the Man Rangers, the wind was nearly as noisy as the crows. The low-lying mulga provided scant protection from the sun, so we rolled out our swags in a wiltshire, a traditional bush shelter made of wood and twigs. On the other side of the track... The Aborigines laid their swags out under the stars or in the back of a station wagon. The Aborigines retired at sundown and rose at sunup, but basically to them, time is irrelevant. Instead of manana, they say later, and we spent what seemed like an eternity sitting around waiting for later. After a while, we realised how obsessed we are with the time and we tossed our itineraries into the sizzling northerly and went with the flow. The main objective was to learn about surviving off the land and learning the importance of the land. The highlight of our week was following a songline, also known as a dream time or creation story. This was also the highlight for Nananja's extended family, Three generations piled into the Oka, the four-wheel drive bus. Others followed in their own cars. 
Together, we trace the footsteps of the legendary Wati man, Ningtaka, the giant parenti lizard, who, according to the songline, had snuck into camp and stolen a precious grinding stone. The land is the book. The land tells the stories, says Nan and Joe. The geographical features are like pictures in a fairy tale book. And if you know the story, you can find your way across the land, travelling from one landmark to the next, following the map. The story is sung, for if it's just told over and over, it's not as exciting. A nice melody makes it more interesting and easier to remember. At each significant songline site, each picture in the storybook, each mark on the map, we stopped and all the old ladies sang the relevant verse of the song. The younger members translated the words for us. For example, we stopped at the point where Ningtaka grew a beard. Of course, there is also a moral to the story, and in this instance, the moral is you should not steal. All in all, it was a unique insight into the sacred significance of the land. Whilst we were following the trail of Ningtaka, the giant parenti lizard, some of the men went out hunting a real parenti, a large lizard with skin as attractive as a python. We stood around mouth aghast as we watched Nan and Jail's husband, Charlie, use a flint to gut it and then singe the catch over a flaming fire. After trussing the parenti like a chicken, Charlie pushed the coals in the fire aside, placed it on a bed of hot sand and covered it with the coals. Forty minutes later, it was divided up and served on a makeshift platter of desert oak branches. A favourite food for the Aborigines, parenti flesh is as white as lobster, but a lot tougher than fish. Much to my surprise, I found witchetty grubs much more palatable, although I had serious doubts about stomaching them when I saw their gizzards look like thick custard. Whereas shooting parenti is men's business, digging witchetty grubs is women's business. But you need to be fit. Nan and Jail's sister-in-law, Tinamai Jacob, was not 21, but she spent hours digging in the blazing midday sun. I tried and collapsed after five minutes. Wichita grubs are cooked for just a few minutes in hot sand and taste like the best chestnuts you've ever eaten. After my first one, I could easily understand why the old ladies were hiding live grubs under their skirts to take home to their grandchildren, for they are truly a treat. Besides the parenti, the men also got a roux. They cooked the kangaroo in a similar style to the parenti, but not for long. We weren't even offered a taste, and I was more than glad, for it was a primeval sight. I watched a young man holding onto a hairy shin, gnawing on the haunch as the raw blood ran down his arm. Whilst the men were out hunting, us women sat down on the ground for a chat. The hot wind blew the red sand as Nan told us about a traditional bush birth. Speaking in pictures, she constantly illustrated her stilted English with drawings in the sand, and when each illustration was finished, she cleaned her slate with a swipe of her palm. That night, we gathered around a campfire for an inma, a traditional dance. 
This was no tourist performance, nothing like you'd ever see in a resort. Wrapped in blankets, giggling women and children beat out the rhythm with a stick on the ground as the young men painted with acrylics and dressed in trendy boxer shorts tried to perform the witchetty grub dance. Within minutes, everyone broke up laughing and the performance was over. On our second last morning, we learned how to winnow and grind grass seeds and then mix them with water into a paste to make nayuma, traditional and very healthy seed cakes. Thank goodness they too tasted better than they looked, for I'm afraid to say they looked just like a dog's calling card. And then, much to our amazement, the Aborigines packed up camp. I could hardly believe it. In clothes so dirty, we look like toddlers. Our white guide and the rest of us waved goodbye to our hosts. Never before had I been on a tour and watched our hosts leave the day before the scheduled departure. My initial impression had been right. This was indeed a unique experience, one none of us will ever forget. So, that's it for now. But if you want more, it will depend on how many of you listen to these podcasts. I've got many more stories to tell you if you want them. 